0: Hello and welcome, my name is Raj Persaud, I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in private practice in Harley Street, London and I'm delighted to be joined today by Ryan Holiday. Uh, Ryan has written uh, a book that's just been published called Ego is the Enemy and is the author of a very famous best-selling book, a previous book called The Obstacle is the Way. So Ryan, Ego is the Enemy is about the idea that um, our kind of pursuit of self-aggrandizement or self-interest which seems to be a kind of modern vogue, actually is a deep problem. But but this book seems to have been informed a little bit about your past, and you worked for a talent agency, for example. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, I worked for a, a big talent agency in Beverly Hills. I was director of marketing at American Apparel, which is a big fashion company. I worked with a number of hugely successful best-selling authors. So what you see in these worlds is that often people are extraordinarily talented, but even when they are successful, they are held back in many ways by, by their ego. You know, an outsider sees a successful person, you know, a Kanye West, let's say, in a huge ego, and they think that the ego is related to the success. And I tend to find that on the, uh, behind closed doors, it's actually the people in that person's life who are sort of seeing how clearly that ego wreaks havoc on them and prevents them in many ways from being more successful or or in other cases prevents them from enjoying the success that they have earned.
0: So the title of the book is Ego is the Enemy. Ego is a word that psychiatrists are very familiar with and has a particular meaning within the world of psychoanalysis and psychiatry. Tell us a bit about what you how you define ego and the sense in which you're using it in this book.
1: Yeah, not being a psychiatrist and certainly not being a Freudian, I don't have to stick so literally to the definition of the word. I, I think I like to use it as, in the in colloquial sense, the way that normal people do when we, when, we, when we use it as a stand-in for arrogance and selfishness and delusion and um, maybe you would say uh, destructive competitiveness. Bill Walsh, who's an American football coach, he, he says, you know, ego is when confidence becomes arrogance. And I think that's sort of the line that I'm talking about.
0: Another word that many psychiatrists would be thinking of is the word narcissism. Sure. And, and they, I don't know whether you feel there's an overlap with the concepts in terms of what you're writing about.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is. Um, again, these are, these are... I'm sure you sort of see it more as it, there is a definition or a set of criteria. I guess my argument is that we all we all have ego and narcissism within us, or we all have those traits, and and it's about minimizing them as much as possible, um, particularly when we're making very essential decisions.
0: So with with narcissism, the idea is self-love, this belief that I'm a special, wonderful person, and that um, the world should recognize this, and that, that the notion that all people who achieve greatness at some level have an element of narcissism within them. You're taking issue with that, and you're saying, that the narcissism and the ego gets in the way of achievement in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm I'm actually saying it's it's precisely the ambitious people and I would consider myself one of them that are trying to do something that have to be the most careful about. If you're not trying to do anything, you're just fine sitting on your house. Sitting in your house, you work a 9 to 5 job, you just want to, you know, you just want to live a very normal life. Ego's not going to be as much of a problem for you or narcissism isn't in the way that it might be for someone who is aspiring to be uh, a, a true competitor in athletics or you know, a star in their field. And, and I guess we could take issue with whether the motivation to begin with to be really good at something is inherently egotistical or biased. But I, I'm just saying, like, look, if you're sitting down, you're trying to write a book, you're trying to start a business, you're trying to launch a career in something, you have that ambition and you have to make sure that your, your belief in yourself doesn't cross over into delusions about yourself or it would be very hard to, to do what you're trying to do.
0: But I get the feeling that in the book, which, which is very um, well written, very easy to read, and I, and I like all the different references, the, the wide-ranging references to Greek philosophy, little stories about famous people. Um, so it's, it's a very readable book. But you seem to be arguing that ego is dangerous. It's not just that it's a, a, a thing we should... Um, be slightly concerned about, it's actually profoundly dangerous. Could you say a bit more about
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not saying like it's it's dangerous necessarily to your health, although it certainly could be or that, you know, it, it, you're going to get assassinated if you have an ego. I'm saying more um, it, it inhibits us in what we're trying to do. So there's a wonderful quote from Epictetus, who is a, a Stoic philosopher. He's saying, you know, one cannot learn that which they think they already know. So if you are approaching the world thinking that you're you know Whatever you're setting out to do, that you're already the best there ever was at it, that you know everything that there is, that, that f- essentially flash freezes your brain and you're not able to see the things that you can get better at. And I tend to find that the people who really are talented and who accomplish extraordinary things focus not on what they do know, but on what they don't know, which is, to me, a form of humility rather than ego.
0: But in a competitive world where there can only be one person who's number one, one person who's top of the charts, one person who's running the company, in a competitive world, surely there's a sense in which you have to have some kind of Mm self-belief.
1: Yeah, I I guess what I would say is if you don't believe you can do something, you probably can't, you probably won't do it. But just because you believe something doesn't mean you can do it. And so that, it's a... It's a, it's, a, it's a balance. You've got to thread that needle, right? Um, it's about having confidence in what you know and what you've actually, what is real, and making sure that you're not also crossing over into wishful thinking.
0: But you also seem to be arguing that ego is the cause of a lot of despair, a lot of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. You, there are many anecdotes here of people who um, are trying to pursue something and they end up suicidal as a result of, the interaction with ego and and um, the, the slings and arrows of misfortune.
1: Well, I and, and look, I, I certainly don't exempt myself from this, but I think a lot of us think that if we are successful or we accomplish something that we pursue, that will make us happy and it will say something about us as people. It will finally prove our parents wrong, it will prove ourselves wrong, it will prove our friends wrong, whatever that is. And so we find that when we're when we are successful, it's not nearly as satisfying as we we hoped it would be. And then conversely, and this is where I think ego is the most dangerous, it's when we fail that we or we experience difficulty or a setback that we apply that same logic. So if we thought our success said something about us as people or the nice car that we had said something about us as people, now failing or being negatively written about, that says something about us as people. And so that's where you you tend to find people, you you find that profound despair and and depression because uh, setbacks are a part of any real pursuit or any career. Teams lose games. But if you're wrecked by that, um, personally, it's going to be very hard. So I get
0: the feeling from the book that you're not against people trying very hard to do really well. What you're saying is, be careful about the reasons why you're trying very hard to do very well.
1: Yes, yes. There's a, um, a a Cyril Connolly line, who's one of my favorite British writers. He's saying, "Whom the gods wish to destroy, they first call promising." And and so it's like, look, if you're promising, if you have potential, it's it, that's amazing. You just have to make sure that you're not wrecked by the way that that can mess with your head. I, I go for what you're doing. I'm I'm saying that I encourage you to do that. But ego will make it make it harder than it needs to be, if not impossible.
0: Well, if ego is part of a cluster of bad reasons, ultimately that will lead to problems. What are the right reasons yeah. to, to pursue excellence?
1: Um, I think a, a love of the craft is one of them. Like a, you know, actually detaching yourself somewhat from the results and, and from the process and, and finding the joy or the satisfaction in the process. I think that's. That's one, one pure motivation. I think the other might be that you are attempting to have some impact on society or the world that's larger than yourself. Um, and the other might do, to, might be to put some of these things in perspective a little bit, right? Um, that uh, all, of our accomplish, our, all of our accomplishments are ephemeral to a certain degree, um, that we're trying to do the best that we can in this brief amount of time on our, that we have on Earth but that you know, nothing really truly rests. You know, there's that Bertrand Russell quote where he says, um, uh, the first line of an impending nervous collapse is the belief that your work is terribly important. If you can have some, some well-adjusted awareness about what you're doing, I think that's helpful as well.
0: There's a sense, though, um, in your book, which makes a lot of eminent sense, um, and I, I, I certainly think there's a lot of good advice in here in terms of people's well-being and psychological uh, mental health, there's a sense in which there's a slightly male feel to, to the notion of um, your, 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 your caution seems to be more directed perhaps to men than women. And what I mean by that is that um, classically, and I'm gonna, uh, a lot of people are going to be irritated by this slightly sexist uh, analysis, but generally speaking, women turn up do a good job because they believe in doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Men turn up and they're kind of ego involved. So they're only doing a good job to the extent that it advances their careers. They're more political, they're Machiavellian. So they turn up and and say lots of things in a board meeting that make make them seem impressive, but then don't go away and actually do the job. Whereas women, generally speaking, which is why whenever I'm interviewing, I tend to be very biased towards appointing women for any task, women kind of interested in doing a good job. But the problem is, that women don't get to the top as a result. They're better than men, by and large, at the actual job, but because they're not playing the political game, they're not being Machiavellian, they don't get to the top. Isn't the danger um, of the advice in the book is that yes, you will end up giving the world something, you will end up perhaps having better well-being, but you won't reach the top because you won't play the Machiavellian game that you need to.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I I guess I certainly am talking more about the sort of stereotypical male ego and and I might take for granted a, a little bit that that women are perhaps not tempted in the same way that men are, but I guess I don't necessarily see what you're saying as a terrible thing. Um, uh, I I would rather I would rather make it near the top and have done things right and be able to appreciate and view my own accomplishments with some perspective and awareness than be able than, than be driven by some sort of uh, illness or unawareness and make it. One percent higher or ten percent higher, and not be able to appreciate that or or enjoy it. So I, I guess it's a it's a moderation in all things. Okay, at the, at the risk of
0: being irritating and challenging, yeah. You, then the then the ultra Machiavellian will say, and Machiavelli himself might have said this, but the problem is you won't have power, and you need power to make the world a better place, because you you need the power of being the CEO or being the prime minister, and and your chap's going to get pretty far up, but because he's not Machiavellian, yeah. he, he won't make it to the very top.
1: I mean, look, uh, the, the, the future president of America is probably going to be a woman. Uh, you guys just appointed a, a, a female prime minister, correct? So I, I, I guess I'm not totally convinced that uh, this sort of less self-involved, less egotistical approach Doesn't get one to the top and Angela Merkel is doing pretty well, you know, so so I I I agree Um, It it can tend to feel like people are being rewarded for the wrong reasons, but I think in the long term um, One as a personal strategy It's a better approach and two uh, in it tends not to Work out as well for the for the people on top as maybe they think it will be
0: You're very passionate throughout the book uh, about your the philosophy you're espousing i get the feeling that has arisen from some kind of personal experience yeah uh, and you talk about the fact that epiphanies in your view aren't really the way <laughs> personal change occurs but i get a feeling something happened to you and you're on a personal journey and you arrived at this philosophy through personal experience
1: uh, yeah i was i was introduced to to stoic philosophy which is the philosophy i, I find to be most fascinating i think relevant in the modern world, and, and I, I do like to sort of evangelize it and discuss it, but as someone who was pretty successful early on in my life and, and sort of dealing with the temptations of, of power and, and success, as you were discussing, I sort of realized very early on that you can sort of go in two directions. You can sort of commit to this totally and sort of blind yourself to it, um, and, and I didn't necessarily like where that was going. Or if you weren't careful, you could sort of imperil some of the success you had by that some of that same lack of awareness. And so I just sort of really tried to dig into to the, this philosophy and this maybe deeper, more historical perspective on things.
0: But I get the feeling that either you or, or you made contact with people in deep personal crisis sure, as a result sure. of the whole ego problem.
1: Yeah, you know, in in... You know having having worked with American Apparel, which was a controversial company that that was very high flying and is no longer so high flying, you I really have seen a lot of the personal costs of this effect. and and having been sort of selected or or hired by those companies because the people in charge of them saw some of themselves in me when I saw the 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 dark turn that some of their paths took, I became, you know, I wanted to see. I wanted to make sure that I didn't go in that same direction, and so I think that's one of the reasons I'm so interested in writing about it.:
0: One of the things you're passionate about is to get beyond the surface um, the, the surface thing that impresses people and get to the essence of being really good sure. at stuff. Yeah, But we live in a world where at the job interview, which lasts half an hour, you just have to impress in a surface level, and you'll get the job. So narcissists excel in our current world precisely because all they need to do is impress you for half an hour. Yeah. Narcissists are great on a first date. Right. The trouble is, <laughs> ten years into a relationship with a narcissist, sure. it's a nightmare. Isn't one of the problems, and you hint at this in the book, that our modern culture favors the people who impress in the on the first date?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting having watched, for instance, the U.S. presidential election—a complete. Uh, lack of separation between what makes a good campaigner, which might be a Donald Trump, and the actual job of governance, which is extraordinarily difficult. So I I do think that in our sort of uh, modern media culture, which focuses so much on appearances and so much on breaking through all the noise, we have begun to really select for traits that I think are at odds with the complexity of the jobs that we are essentially auditioning people for and I think this is true in our own lives it's like you can get really good at marketing you can get really good at building a brand but if there's not something to back it up I'm I'm not sure how long that's going to last for you I'm not sure if that's the best place to invest your all your resources
0: But you're backing something. And I I agree with the argument in the book. What I'm saying is that the world doesn't back it. The world tends to select out the narcissist. But you're saying that if you carry on doing the right thing, eventually the world will recognize these correct values.
1: Well, to take books, for example, which is obviously something I think a lot about, um, it's not that hard to get a book to sell in the short term. But books that sell over the long term, you know, and we're still reading and talking about books that were published hundreds of years ago, to accomplish something like that, there has to be real weight there. There has to be real. Um, value that one reader feels inclined to recommend to another reader. So as a short-term strategy, sure, you, in, in some ways you want to be empty and meaningless and tell people what they want to hear. You know, Writing a book about ego that tells people to think less of themselves isn't a great short-term sales strategy. But as I saw with my last book, if you, if you make something that has real practical value for readers, that lasts and sells better than, any, than media attention ever will.
0: There's a sense in which some people, just picking up the book and glancing at it, may think the book is for people who are thinking of running companies or uh, managing Premiership football teams. I get a sense that what you're arguing is that whatever you're trying to do in life, like being a good parent, sure, uh, or being a good husband, if you're trying to do something well or really well, your arguments apply.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're a parent and you're trying to decide, or you're a parent, or you're a friend, you work for the. A parent-teacher association, a nonprofit. You want to make sure that you're making decisions based on facts, based on on what you believe, not out of ego. And and I tend to find, even in my own life, we make these emotional reactions towards something that someone says to us, a position that they put us in. And when we can when we can filter out that emotion, see things a little bit more objectively, um, put perhaps it's a slight pause between stimulus and response. We're we're going to make better decisions.
0: So um, there's a sense in which this book seems to follow on quite nicely from your previous book, The Obstacle is the Way, uh, which is a book about um, overcoming adversity. The the, the subtitle of the book is The Ancient Art of Turning Adversity to Advantage. Let's just talk a bit about that book. Um, How how would you summarize the the philosophy of that
1: book? So that that book is much more based in Stoic philosophy. Um, uh, It's a philosophy that I sort of define or I summarize as Um, We don't control what happens to us. We control how we respond. And so instead of focusing on these things we don't control, we focus exclusively on our reactions. And that gives us a competitive advantage over other people who are worried about whether things are fair or not, whether things should have happened or not, whether we wanted them to happen or not. Let's just focus on the best response possible.
0: But this book is also about how not to get disheartened sure. in the face of adversity.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look, if you're focused on whether something was fair, whether, you know, what the odds of this happening to you were, um, whether it should have gone the other way or not, these are the kinds of, 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 of things that do dishearten us. You know, Marcus Aurelius, he says, um, choose not to feel harmed and you haven't been. So much of it is, Oh, you said that to me. I dis- I'm going to interpret that as a uh, you know you had a malicious intent, and I'm going to decide that that hurt my feelings. It embarrassed me in front of these people. You know, it's it's events are objective. It's our interpretations of them that make them you know positive or negative ultimately.
0: Um, but it seems to follow on naturally from the first book, Ego is Enemy, is the notion of what what what's going on inside us. Yeah, that are obstacles we have to overcome.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the obstacles the way is about external obstacles. And in some ways, it's easier to focus on the outside problems, because they're a bit simpler. And then ego is about what I would say our biggest obstacle is, which is, you know, ourselves, what we, what what we bring to problems. And, and so much of Stoic philosophy is about seeing things clearly and objectively and rationally. Well, that's really hard if, if the the inherent way that you view the world is biased by your self-absorption.
0: Um, in in your journey, and, and you clearly um, have have read a lot of Greek philosophy, and and have a very robust and positive approach uh, to life. Thank you. Uh, you, you meet people clearly who who've not um, blessed with this outlook. What 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 do you say to them? I mean, because you can't give them the whole book. Yeah. Um, what what um, what's your reaction to them in an attempt to?
1: To, to help them yeah I mean it's interesting I think most people don't wake up and they go hey I'd love to learn about Greek or Roman philosophy and 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 that's why they don't and but they don't realize that a lot of these philosophies were designed specifically to help with problems that they have you know people do wake up and they say I've got a problem do you have a solution and I would say you know for five or so thousand years smart people have been writing and talking about these solutions and that there might be something there for you and I, I just love this idea My two favorite ideas from the Stoics are are basically: there is no good or bad; there's only our perception about things, and not in a moral sense, but in terms of a disfortunate or sorry, unfortunate or fortunate. And then, secondly, that we don't control what we don't control the world around us; we control how we respond to the world around us. And I think those are two incredibly empowering and ultimately optimistic ideas.
0: One final question: Um, You're clearly from the United States. I'm very American, yes. <laughs> and there's a sense in which the American attitude is, is one of problems are solvable, let's go out there and wage war, Sure. long as literally, yes. in, order, Unfortunately, in, order to, yes. yeah, in order to solve problems. Whereas the more Eastern or the rest of the world tends to take a more fatalistic view, which, which may be um, bad things have happened to us, we just have to accept them. What I find interesting about your book is you've embraced the idea, let's not just accept stuff, Let's go and do stuff. So it's very American in that way, but you're trying to find a balance, which is the right reason for being positive yeah. about, about problem solving.
1: Yeah, right. You know, the secret is like let's let's magically wish that it's different than it is. I, I like the Stoic idea of let's make it different than it is within reason. Um, and and look, we I, I tend to gravitate towards Western. Philosophy, because we live in the Western world for the most part, and 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 most of history has been defined by that. But you know, I love the the British. I think the British are very stoic, right? The um, keep calm and carry on. Um, and and so I think it's it's a mix of all of these. Ultimately, you do tend to find a lot of overlap between Stoic philosophy and and Zen Buddhism, but I, but not not from influencing each other. I think from them homing in on the same essential truths of 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 accepting what you can't change and, and, you know, as the serenity prayer says, having the courage to to change the things that you can.
0: Well, Ryan, thank you very much indeed. Just to remind people about the books, uh, Ego is the Enemy, we've been talking about, by Ryan Holiday, published by uh, Profile Books. Uh, the old, slightly older book, um, which was a bestseller and is a bestseller, The Obstacle is the Way, The Ancient Art of Turning Adversity to Advantage, also by Ryan Holiday, also published by Profile Books. Ryan, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me.